Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. Achieving my long-term goals is more about creating healthy habits and less about quick fixes. And that's why I love both intermittent fasting and daily harvest. Tim Spector, a gut health expert and founder of Zoe, and Dr. B, gastroenterologist and author of Fiber Fueled, recommend that you aim for at least 30 unique plant foods per week. Daily Harvest helps make it easy. One of my favorite options is the sweet potato and wild rice hash harvest bowl. With Daily Harvest, I'm getting tons of plant-based options built on organic fruits and vegetables that are easy to prep and free of weird ingredients such as fillers, seed oils, and added sugars. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com ifstories to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com ifstories for $30 off your first box and free shipping. Daily harvest.com slash is stories. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, as well as the book that started it all, Delay Don't Deny. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than denying myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, Who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 294 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Wendy Takino. Wendy lives in Monrovia, California, and she wears many hats. She is a professional singer. She works in an office, and she is also music director of a church. Welcome, Wendy. Hi. It's so good to be with you. Well, it's great to be with you, and I've I've been really looking forward to this conversation because you are a member of the Delayed on Tonight community, and you post a lot of things, and you're doing some great experiments and learning a lot along the way, so I know we're going to have a very interesting discussion today. I can't wait. I'm so excited. Really, most people I talk to, I don't know them before we talk, so I get to know them, but it always just feels a little extra fun when I when I know. I know. I 
I do feel I do feel like I already know you so well because I've yeah. been following you online for a while now. Anyway, and I love how engaged you are in your community and how you just respond to everyone. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's my work. It's my job. I, I have a job too. And I, I spend a certain number of hours on it every day because it's like, I get up and I do my job, but it's fun. It's the best job I've ever had. And I love it. You know, and I get, it's very much being a teacher, but I can do it everywhere. You know, I can, if I, I'm going to a doctor's appointment after we talk and while I'm sitting in the waiting room, I can do my job, you know, <laughs> but I just get to talk to people and I get to encourage them and give them a little tough love if and when they need it. Cause I'm not afraid to do that either. As I'm sure you have seen, have yes. I given you some tough love in the past, Wendy? You have. Yeah. See, <laughs> mm-hmm. I couldn't remember, but it sounds like me. So let's go back to the beginning. You know, I like to start by asking what brought you to intermittent fasting and when was that? Well, it was a long journey there, but I started March 1st, 2020. And thank goodness I did because it was right before the lockdown of the pandemic and where people were at home and eating everything in front of them, I had these new boundaries around when I was eating. And that alone just saved me a lot of grief during that first few months. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's true. That was just, it was a crazy time. I remember we didn't know what was happening or what was going to happen. And I'd never been, we'd never been locked down before. What, what's going on? So having those boundaries of the intermittent fasting really, I'm sure made a huge difference. And plus I was like, I was all in. I wanted to give it a hundred percent. So I was super strict about my timer. I would follow it religiously. I would set it and watch it count down until it was time to eat. <laughs> <laughs> So how did you find it? How did you find intermittent fasting? Okay. Are you ready for a little history? Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Tell I, us. Take the, take the long road. All right. I was like, <laughs> I don't know how to, how to get you there without okay. like kind Go of back. Starting, starting early. So the first time I was put on a diet, I think I was 11. And Worst thing we can do, by the way, is put a kid on a diet. I know. Now, that, and, now we know that. I know. And I do think, of course, my mom had the best of intentions. My family, obesity runs in my family, type 2 diabetes runs in my family, heart disease, all of those things. And I had always been a chubby kid, but really started to struggle with my weight more when I was like in junior high. Now, there were reasons for that that nobody knew because I was an emotional eater and I was holding on to some some really hard stuff, secrets and shame. And food became a way to kind of like stuff that down. So rather than a diet, I probably just needed to go into therapy. And it took me 30 years to get there, but I'm so glad that I did. Yeah. So, but that's, I I think that's a very common story, Wendy, is that Mm -hmm. people in childhood, we don't have good coping mechanisms, right? We don't, we don't know how to cope with things that are too big for children to deal mm-hmm. with, but we exactly. do often have to deal with these big things when we're, when we're not ready. So turning to food, I think is a common, a common story. Yeah, it really is. So that started my diet journey. So I, I did everything, Jenny Craig, Weight Watchers, Lifetime Weight Watchers member here. 
And I would lose 30, 40 pounds, keep it off for a while, then gain some back, then start another diet. The cabbage soup diet, did you ever do that one? (laughs) I did that one for probably two days because the cabbage soup was so gross. (laughs) I did the Suzanne Summers food combining thing. You you know, I did that forever, all the time. I kept going back to it because I liked it because... Other than, you know, you didn't eat the certain funky foods, whatever she called them. I don't know, but I can't remember. But I had like all of her books. And I liked that you were doing one thing or the other. It's funny now knowing me, but I would tend to gravitate toward the low carb just because I guess the richness of those foods, that's just how I would end up more of those. And low carb, you know, never worked for my body. But I loved the premise of her eating approach. It's, and, I just and, never it, lost it weight on it. Never. I mean, well, yeah. didn't. It worked for me. I, I lost like probably 20 pounds while I did it. Okay. But that was kind of how my diet history went during those first 30 years of my life was I would gain and lose and gain and lose. And depending on what was happening for me, I never tracked this until later, but like emotionally, how was I doing it would track my mental health and my physical weight would kind of kind of track at the same time because we're integrated beings if one part of us gets sick the other follows and that's huge wendy what you just said is huge because so many people spend a lot of time beating themselves up for things that happen that come out of emotions and and for, for example the emotional eating and we are so connected that understanding why that's happening is is the first step. Mm-hmm. It's really true. And along with when one part of us gets sick, when we start to heal one part, the others follow too. And so I had been trying to take care of the outside for so long. Like, let me get healthy. Let me get thin. Let me feel good about myself. And then I'll feel good about myself inside. And I was avoiding a lot of the things that were going to be destructive in the long run for me. A little bit about my personality. So you obviously know I'm an extrovert. Anybody in the community knows (laughs) knows that I'm an extrovert. I'm just energized by people. I love it so much. But somebody in the, the community mentioned the Enneagram the other day, which is a personality typing test. Yeah, I haven't done it, but... Oh, it's great. I highly recommend it. I am a two with a three wing and a two is the helper. A three is the achiever. What this typing teaches you is like your root motivation, like what you need most in life. And a helper wants to be loved and an achiever wants to be admired. And so put those two together and you have the perfect recipe for a people pleaser, you know? I bet you I'm similar then. I bet I'm a two. Yeah, a people pleaser. And, yeah. and I also never had, I was never taught that I could have good personal boundaries. And so being an empathetic person, being very aware of how people felt around me, I felt it was my job to keep everybody happy because I could affect it. Do you also absorb their negative feelings? Yes. Me too. And, oh, yes. and it's, it's that's a hard thing to, yes. to carry around, absorbing negative feelings and feeling like it's your job to fix them. Yeah. And so somebody when, else's feelings, right? And, yeah. And so when you're so aware that you're so aware of everyone else's emotions, and I also was raised 
in a very conservative Christian home where, you know, you put yourself last. You put yourself last. You care about other people. You're not important. I'm not saying anything despairingly about my upbringing. I obviously have done a lot of work to heal all of that, but it did shape. It shaped me. And I had to unlearn a lot of things before I could get healthy again. So anyway, all of those things led to me having a bit of a nervous breakdown actually in 2006 that led me to a really dark season of depression that lasted for a good solid about two years. And during that time, I basically just isolated myself. I hid in my house. I mean, I still went to work. I still tried to show up for things when I could, but I was not opening up about anything that was going on in my life. And I started to binge eat. And in about two years time, I gained over a hundred pounds. Wow. In two years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I gained over a hundred pounds. And prior to that, I had I'd kind of gotten a little cocky too, because I had been maintaining up my goal weight. I was feeling really good, but everything was falling apart inside. And so that all needed to be addressed. So anyway, the path from the breakdown to healing was long and messy. It really was. It took me a long time. I wanted to try to just get things together without telling the truth about what was going on because I wanted people to like me and I wanted to please people. And I felt if they knew some of my deep, dark secrets that I would lose their respect and admiration and disappoint them and all of those things. But what I will say is that the opposite happened. When I started truth telling and opening up about my struggles and my heartbreak and my shame and the places where I felt like I had really failed, judgment never came. And what I ended up finding was that when you start telling the truth, then other people feel like they can tell the truth too. Yeah. It's true. There's so much shame in hiding things Mm -hmm. and carrying that around. Because you also feel like you're the only person who's ever been through these things. And then you start talking to people. And no matter what it is, they went through that themselves or someone they love did or they understand it. And and they are not judging you. They want to support you and hear you and hug you and yeah, the the people that that matter in your life. I learned some of these things. I wish I had known about some writers and people that were doing this kind of work. I'm sure you're familiar with Brene Brown. I've got her. her. I can see the gift of imperfection from where I'm sitting (laughs) on the shelf. And when we came here from Augusta, I had a giant library. I had literally, we had a library in the house that was bookshelves on three walls. And I brought so tiny number of my books, but that one came. Yeah. Yeah. Um, When I finally found, (laughs) found her and what she kind of blew up, you know, she got real big after she did her Ted talk and, I had been experiencing those things in my life, but like to have them described and explained with research behind them, That's, you know? Yep. Yeah. It's not just feel good, talky no, talk. It's yeah. research-based, exploring the shame, exploring yeah, all and, of that. It was so funny that like her research about shame led her to therapy. 
you know? (laughs) So it was like, okay, there's actually proof that this is what is happening. And so anyway, it was about 10 years that I lived in that heavy, heavy body. And I struggled. I, I tried to lose some weight here and there, and I would have a little bit of success. But again, like I didn't understand what was going on biologically with my metabolism that I had really screwed it up, number one. With all the dieting. Mm-hmm. Do you also feel like like keeping the weight on was a little bit of a coping mechanism for safety? Yeah. Oh, oh gosh, yes. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. It kept it kept people at an arm's length. I could hide there. I hid in my clothes. I hid, you know, all of that. Oh, most definitely there was safety in that. We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium and specifically magnesium breakthrough by by optimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency, and in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories, promo code ifstories10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's bioptimizers.com slash ifstories, promo code ifstories10. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. And I started really experiencing some physical pain. My joints started to hurt. Because at that point, how how much did you weigh? The highest weight I got to was 285. Okay. Yeah, two. And how tall are you? You're I'm taller five, than me. I'm 5'8". Okay, I knew you were a little taller than me. I'm 5'5". Five five. So that's a lot of pressure on your joints. That's a lot to carry around, you know. Yeah, my joints started hurting. My energy was just so low. Any sort of physical activity was really hard. And then I started having sciatic issues. And so finally, my sister, and my sister had had recommended it a couple of times, but I had already like discounted that. Like, I, I know how to diet. She recommended that I talk to my doctor about having gastric surgery. And I do not recommend anybody take that path now, knowing what I know now, but I don't regret doing it. 
I talked to my doctor and I said, would you think this would be a good course for me? And he was super supportive. Oh, but I should back up a little bit. So I told my sister, I know how to diet. I know how to lose weight. I just, for some reason, can't get myself together. I can't get my act together. And she came to me with so much compassion and said, Wendy, exercising is harder, carrying all this extra weight. And you've already started to identify that you've got some real issues with food. And would you tell a drug addict not to go to rehab? And she was like, it's okay to need help. It's okay to need assistance. And that started me down that path. So it was 2017 in February of 2017 that I had gastric bypass surgery. And I didn't tell, this was the other thing. I didn't tell anybody that I was going to do it. I did a lot of research on my own. I interviewed a bunch of people that had had it done, talked about all the lifestyle changes and, you know, all of the, all the complications and risks that come with, you know, you're altering your organs. And you're going to have to learn to live differently. Yeah. So it was so interesting though, like the prep classes, like sitting in a room full of morbidly obese people who are reading nutritional labels for the very first time, never having looked at the back of a package. Okay. Can you find where the protein is and where the carbs are? And when you're looking at sugar, this is what this means. And I I was like floored because I could have a degree in nutritional science, you know. With- but did you see the post in the community the other day? Was it Sean who was at the grocery store? And was it, was that Sean? And there was somebody there who was like, I swear, like 70-something years old. And her doctor told her to eat more protein, and she had no idea what that meant. And Sean helped her. Did you see? Well, I think it was Sean. No, I didn't see that But one. it was like, this, this lady was like in her 70s and was like trying to buy like Nutri-Grain bars or something, to high protein. And... People just don't know. They don't know. Yeah. Well, and it it just goes to show that there's so much lacking in our education about nutrition and just overall how to care for our health. I think that's changing and I'm super positive about that. But yeah, I have a little little fasting group on Facebook that I kind of manage, you know, and I've been posting my, all of my results about testing my blood sugar and everything and saying how much I would love to have a CGM a continual glucose monitor for anyone who's, who doesn't know what that is. And one of my members was like, can you imagine how the health of our country could be transformed if people had access to this information? Oh, absolutely. You know, I just wore one for a month from NutriSense and I want to talk more about this later, but it nudged me to make different choices, not out of diet brain, but out of if I eat five dates, my blood sugar is going to go way up and stay up all night. Maybe I should not eat five dates. Maybe I'll just have one. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Because I had to see what was happening. I had to see it. And when I saw it, I was like, well, that wasn't good. Yeah. That's not good for my body. You know, when I ate all those crackers that day, they were delicious. (laughs) Crackers and hummus and chips because they were left over and I was here and I was eating them. My blood sugar went crazy. And I'm like, huh. Yeah, oh. But if I eat a daily harvest bowl, my blood sugar goes to 97 and stays there. And it's just like, oh. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it's remarkable. So let's back up. Okay, let's go back to that that gastric because I want to get through that. But you had the surgery February of 2017. 2017. And in that first year, I lost 80 pounds, which is actually kind of conservative weight loss after surgery because I was very nervous about losing rapidly, knowing that loose skin was going to be a possibility and all of that. I mean, even though I knew I couldn't avoid it, having that much weight to lose, but losing that fast and not giving my body time to adjust and recover and, and all of that. So I, I wasn't super, super strict in that first year, you know, cause it's all about like protein shakes. And I also just didn't want to consume that much processed stuff. So yeah, so my weight loss was kind of conservative that first year. I lost 80 pounds. And that's also, a lot of people don't know this, but you get a year of weight loss from surgery. They stress that, like your body will have restriction in that first year. You won't have a lot of hunger in that first year. But after that first year, any additional weight loss is your effort. Okay. So the surgery gives you a year of weight loss. The surgery gives you a year. That's interesting. I've never heard that before. Yeah. Which is why if somebody's had that surgery and hasn't completely changed their lifestyle, they will gain the weight back. Right. You've got to learn to be different. Yeah. After that. Okay. I know a lot of people that that has happened to. Yeah. I think we all do. I think everybody knows at least one person in their life who had the surgery, lost a lot of weight, and then slowly has has gained back. And yeah. Yeah, it's rough. So in that first year, 80 pounds. And then the, the next following year, it took me another year to lose 20 pounds. I struggled that second year trying to figure out how to make this work. I finally ended up doing keto low carb, and that seemed to work for me. So in 2018... I got down to 185. I was feeling pretty good in the 180s. I was wearing wearing a size 12, which I also had kind of accepted too. Like, maybe this is just where my body wants to stay. You know, I'm tall. I look good in a size 12. And it know. felt so much better after being oh, gosh, 285. Yes. Being 185 feels so much better in your body. Oh, right? so good. I felt yeah. so good. Yeah, I did. So then another little wrench was thrown into the, <laughs> into, into the wheel. I met my husband in the fall of 2018. So here's like a beautiful part of the story. So like after all this hard work had been done, all this heartbreak, all of this, just a long road of healing, my husband, his name is Eric. He didn't want me to talk about him, but there's no way I can tell my story without telling you like all the super happy parts too, right? So we went to junior high together and he had a crush on me in junior high and found me online years later. And he had been married and divorced, but I had never been married. Okay. So this is also something I didn't talk about was I was 45 and had never been married. Okay. Yeah. So he... He found me. We dated for four weeks and got engaged. Love it. And got married three months later. Perfect. So like whirlwind, (laughs) whirlwind, whirlwind. It wasn't like big love, like swept off my feet. It was more just like coming home, you know, like, oh, you're my person. We are friends. We get each other. And so even though everybody thought I was kind of crazy. Once they met him and saw us together, they were like, oh yeah, this makes sense. 
So anyways, I had been doing keto low carb up until we met and then we got married and we're super happy and like all of that low carb business went out the window because now I had somebody in my house who who liked chips and <laughs> wanted <laughs> wanted to have snack food in the house and he's fine with that like he doesn't overeat those kinds of things but I get super triggery when I have salty processed foods and next thing I know I've eaten way too much of them. And for somebody who's had gastric surgery, those foods, they slide right through. They're actually called slider foods because you can, you could just keep eating them and they just, they break down and slide right through. So next thing I knew was in our first year of marriage, I had put that 20 pounds back on that I had lost the year before. And it was the fall of 2019 that I saw a number on the scale. I saw like 206 on the scale and went, no, nope, we're not doing this. I'm not doing this again. I got to figure this out. And figuring out that like, just because somebody else got introduced into my house and their ways of eating, I didn't have to do the same thing. Like I needed talking about personal boundaries. I needed to figure out what worked for me, whether or not somebody else was going to join me in that. Exactly. And and you have to, you know, if there's someone in the house and they're going to have chips around, yeah. you have to figure out, well, what am I going to do about that? You know? Yeah. I'm still like thinking about the idea of them called sliders because that really makes so much sense. And it Slider also food. explains why they don't satisfy us because yes. they, go, they go through so quickly. You know, I talk mm-hmm. about in, I guess in Fast Feast Repeat in the feast section, I talk about they compare different foods with different levels of processing, like two cheese sandwiches, one cheese sandwich that's a lot more processed than the other one and how it affects our body differently. But the more processed the food, the quicker it slides right through. That's just a brilliant way of thinking about it. Yeah. I'd never heard that. But yeah. So you've got to figure out what am I going to do with these chips in the house and not eat them? Yeah. And like, I didn't want to be like, no, you can't bring this here. Exactly. Right. You're tempting me. No, it wasn't that at all. I at least had done enough work that it was like, you're not responsible for my choices. That's my job. But okay, the other thing too is that I had found that keto was like so restrictive and it felt weird to say you can't eat fruit and certain vegetables like whole foods because they have too many carbs, you know. And while it did work for me for weight loss and maintaining and it was pretty simple to follow, like I just, it did not feel healthy. It didn't feel healthy. Yeah, it didn't feel right for your body. I get that. And that that may may have also been just the way that I was doing it as well. You know, I was doing more of like a dirty keto kind of thing versus eating super clean. And really that phrase, the dirty keto, when I did keto in 2014 and of course lost no weight, at that time they were just all like, just like macros. That was it. (laughs) Yeah, just focus on your macros as long as you got your macros. But then as time went on, they realized, huh, there's more to it. (laughs) Then the advice got different and then adding in more vegetables and less cheese. And it wasn't just the macros. It's what those macros are composed of yeah. that matter. Yeah. So in 2020, I had started doing low carb. I'd lost a little bit of weight. I'd gotten back under 200. I was feeling pretty good. And then I was like, you know, I should probably figure out if I'm doing this right for my body. And so I actually found a program that was a bariatric keto program where they figured out 
your personal macros and calories and all of that. And so they plug all my numbers in. I have this like personal consultant who works with me and she comes back and she says, okay, you have a 900 calorie limit a day. And I was like, 900 calories. Oh my Lord. Like, yeah. (laughs) For the rest of your life, you get to luxuriously eat 900 calories a day. Congratulations, Wendy. Yeah. (laughs) And then they were like, so, but we also recommend that you incorporate some intermittent fasting. So that was where the term, I had heard the term before anyway, but I was always like, oh my gosh, all these people like not eating all day, like that, that can be healthy, you know, but they had a 50 calorie limit. So you could have cream in your coffee. You know, as long as you kept it under 50 calories. Wish I knew where that terrible advice came from. Right? People have been saying it all along. Somebody yeah. said it. Somebody just made that up one day. Yeah. And I don't know why. And said, 50 calories doesn't break a fast. And yeah. then everybody was like, I like the sound of that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Let's just good. go with it. Right? I mean, you could literally eat, you know, 50 calories of jelly beans periodically throughout the day and you'll be just fine. I mean, that's not fasting. Hello. Yeah. Anyway, I just really wish I knew the origin of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't. <laughs> so you know this about me that I geek out. I geek out on the science. I love learning about why I'm doing something and what's happening inside my body. And so since I was going to be incorporating some intermittent fasting with this program, I wanted to learn more about it. And so I dug in. I started watching YouTube videos. I got books. I read Dr. Jason Fung. And then a friend of mine said, have you ever heard of Jen Stevens? And delay, don't deny. So I got your book on Audible and listened to that. And and up until then, I hadn't been clean fasting. But here's what, here's the thing, because I wasn't clean fasting, I was white knuckling it through the fast. Like I dream- get it. Cause that was me the whole yeah. time before I discovered, you know, Jason Fung talking about the insulin response. And mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, that's why it's hard. Yeah. As soon as I, I changed it up, it, it changed the whole experience for me. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, you know, drinking a big diet Coke and then being like, Oh, I'm so hungry. Oh, this sucks. And then After I started clean fasting in March, I noticed that like I could have a carb, I could eat a carb and I was still losing weight. And I was like, huh, well, this is interesting. So my diet then became less restrictive and I just was focusing on my timed eating window. And so I ditched the bariatric keto program, the calorie, Hallelujah. calorie goal, yeah, all of that, <laughs> and just started focusing on tightening up my eating window. And so I started at 16.8, quickly moved to 18.6, and it took me about two weeks to move to 24, and then it was like, bam, the weight just started falling off. And so it was March. By July, I had lost 40 pounds. Wow. And was at my goal weight. Which was? 159 was what I initially set was one. We just want to see that five, right? Yeah, we want to see a certain see tens digit. Yeah. Well, and that was also like the very tip top of what the BMI chart said for healthy weight. You wanted and to be a healthy weight. That's I a great goal. Be, I wanted to be a healthy weight. I didn't care about being at the lowest. I just wanted to feel good. Yeah. So I had gotten 
to 159 and was wearing a size 10 and feeling great. So that kind of started me on maintenance then, since then. And it's really, really pretty much been smooth sailing, honestly. I love that. Yeah. It's been smooth sailing since then. I love it. Last year, I had COVID in May. May of 22. In May of 22, I had COVID. And initially, when I first had it, this was so interesting. I lost weight. I lost like five pounds while I had COVID. And I got down to like 152 and like was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. COVID diet. This is great. Like when I had the stomach flu one time <laughs> yeah. back years ago. And I was like, look, I've lost 10 pounds. That didn't last. <laughs> no. And so and it didn't last for it didn't last for me either. And then I started to see that the scale I was putting on some weight. Post-COVID. Post-COVID. With no changes in what you were doing, right? Yeah. Although to be honest, I think I did start to have to be honest that my window was creeping a little bit okay, and getting a little bit bigger, but it happened gradually. And so from like May to August, I had put on probably 10 pounds and I put on 10 pounds. I was in like, like 165. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like it was a big deal because I had already given myself like kind of a five pound wiggle room. Fluctuation window. Yeah. Yeah. Understanding that weight fluctuates every day. Oh my gosh. The daily weighing and weekly average changed my life with the scale. I'm glad. Everybody who's listening, I'm telling you, if you would just do that. <laughs> it, it is, yeah. it's like, oh, what a relief to know that like, oh, number one, this is normal. This is just what our bodies do. You're not going to weigh the same thing every day, depending on what you ate, depending on your bowel movements, depending on how much water you're carrying, if there's any inflammation in your body, all of that. And then seeing that like, oh, it averages out. I'm maintaining. Right. You can see if your weekly average is staying the same, you know that you're maintaining. And that's just so huge because, I mean, you're in the community, you see it, but people have a lot of panic and desperation surrounding what the scale does. Like someone will come on and usually it's a Monday when this happens and somebody will come on and they'll be full of panic and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm gaining weight. I got on the scale today. It's up two pounds. Yeah. I gained two pounds. That's not a gain. And I'm like, well, we don't gain or lose. Yeah. Two pounds of fat rapidly. Right, right. And so it goes both ways. You know, if you're like, this week I lost seven pounds, you didn't lose seven pounds of fat this week. Yeah. Also, if this week you gained <laughs> seven pounds, you didn't gain seven pounds of fat right. this week. Right. We don't gain or lose fat quickly. <laughs> it's a very, very slow process. Underneath those fluctuations, what your fat is doing is really slow. Yeah. That's why that you can only tell from the weekly averages, honestly. Yeah. If your weekly average starts slowly trending up, you know what? It's fat gain. Yes. Probably, unless yeah. you're doing like big muscle building. What I also did figure out, and you were there for this too when I figured this out last fall, was that I had kind of a reverse reaction to the scale that when I saw it hit a low number, I would ease off. I would ease off and I'd be like, okay, I got to my goal weight. I'm back at that target number. And I didn't realize I was doing it until I was tracking the weekly weight average. And then it was like, oh, I got to my goal weight that week. But then it was up another pound in a couple weeks again. And it just would never stay there. And so rather than saying, oh, my body just doesn't want to stay at that weight, like, let's start looking at what you're doing. So being my nerdy data collection person over here, 
I would go back because I still use my timer every day, my fasting timer. And so I would go back and look at my history. What was I doing during that time? And I have all the history back to my very first fast. And it's, it's so great to be able to go back and go, oh my gosh, look at the bazillion hours I have fasted, all this healing that has taken place in my body during this time. But yeah, so I was able to look back and see, oh, my window would start to creep after I hit my goal. And what's that about? Do I have a little fear of success? Do I get too cocky and think, okay, now I've gotten there. I I don't have to work as hard or whatever. Not that I was working hard. I mean, fasting has become super easy for me. So what was going on there? So I get it though. You you were, yeah. you know, you were kind of like relaxing a little bit, but yeah. what I love about it is you were curious about it instead of like fasting has stopped working for me. Right. Right, cuz right. you could have gone into panic mode and and we see that so often too, you know, the panic and the desperation that comes with all these years of dieting, right? Oh, and gosh, all yes. these years of diet brain and you had already lost 120 pounds with gastric bypass only to see 20 of it creep back up. And so the stories that we tell ourselves in our brain, of, oh, it's happening again. I'm just going to gain it all back. Fasting's going to stop working too. And it won't. You no, just, but won't. you, you figured it out. You were like, what is really happening? And you know, you could have said, if you didn't have all this data, you could have said, I haven't changed anything. I'm still doing the same thing and my weight is creeping up. But that was not true. Yeah. What I did, I went back because I keep a little spreadsheet of my weekly weight weight averages. And I went back and on every day that I did not meet a 20-hour fast, I made the weight red so that I could just look at it and see what I was doing. And it was like, oh, there's a lot of red happening here. And it wasn't a negative. It wasn't a negative thing. It was just observing. Like I said, I've become like a little mini scientist, like doing all these experiments. And that whole study of one thing is really true. It's like, what works for you? Get curious about what is working and what's not and in your really body. And be really honest as to what might yes. have changed. Because a lot of times people are just, they really think they haven't changed anything. But maybe they were really doing 24 and they were doing it every day and they were eating a certain way. And then summer happened and suddenly they're having a six-hour window several days a week and they don't feel like they're eating more. Right. Or having more alcohol or having more cheese or sugar, plates. Or, yeah, right? more, more, more ice cream cones. <laughs> more yeah. trips down to the chimichanga llama like I did <laughs> yeah. yesterday. It was, it was fabulous. But I'm so glad I don't weigh because I'm sure today would have been up. <laughs> Well, and that was the thing, too, that I realized it was like, I was a little envious of the people who could just ditch the scale completely and trust it, trust that it would be working where like, I like seeing the data. And finally, it was like, this is what works for you. Don't feel bad about that. You are a structured, detailed person. You like seeing the details. And so there's nothing wrong with that. If it's working for you. So anyway, so in August last year, I tightened things back up. I got my way back down to 155, and that was deliberate. I was like, you know what? I'm going to make my target weight a little bit lower to give myself a little more wiggle room, number one, to see where my body wants to land. And that was the thing, was there was this arbitrary number in my head, and it was like, what, what if your body wants to release more? I may be limiting what 
my progress could actually be by having this number in my head. And so when I hit 155, that was at the beginning of November. And I was like, all right, I'm stepping off the scale. I'm stepping off the scale for the whole month. I'm going to do a no way November and trust the process. I'm going to use a gin saying that I'm going to trust, <laughs> trust the process and just make sure that I'm doing what I know works, you know? And so the whole month of November, I did not weigh. When I stepped on the scale in December, I was down a pound and I have been maintaining since then. Like I got over that weird reaction to hitting goal. And so from November to now, which we're almost in March, my weekly weight average has stayed between 154 and 155. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move, or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Wow. So yeah. you are maintaining just solid right there. So, it's solid, yeah. But within that, let's let's dig in a little bit. So your weekly average is maintaining between 154 and 155. What's your fluctuation range within there? Oh, within there. Oh, yeah. It can go down to 152 up to 156. It just depends. Yeah, it's a good six to eight pound fluctuation. Okay. Yeah. See, that's what's really important for people to understand because, yeah. and this is also why it's so important to keep weighing daily and weekly averaging yeah. because let's, let's think about what if you had, you know, you decided you were only going to weigh every now and then. You weren't going to weigh. If you, you see, even though your average is maintaining 154 to 155, you might step on one day at random and see 157 and freak out. Because you have no context to know that that's just a normal fluctuation. Two days ago, it was 153. And two days from now, maybe it's going to be 152. And it's just part of your fluctuation range. So I really believe you either have to stay off the scale completely, which is what I do, or you have to have a strategy where you weigh daily and you do something with that data. Yeah. I also track my cycle, my menstrual cycle, and I am at the beginning of menopause as well. And so things are changing. It's not as consistent as it used to be. And so, so I'm, I'm paying attention to those things as well. It doesn't rock me as much if I see, it doesn't rock me at all. Honestly, if I see a fluctuation on the scale go up, 
And then I look, I look at my calendar and I'm like, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yep. Yep. Totally normal. Yeah. Not something to get upset about because it's just going to happen again next time. And that there's nothing you can do. It's not because you're making bad choices. It's just your body is retaining water because that's what bodies do. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so let's talk about your blood sugar experiment before we run just, out of I time. Was just, I was just yes. going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the side effects from having gastric bypass surgery is called rapid gastric emptying or dumping syndrome. So since my surgery basically like rerouted my digestion to bypass my stomach. So I, I like have a small little pouch that goes straight to my small intestines. So is that the what they mean by dumping it, dumps it into your small intestines? Yeah. It basically, it just, it's rapid gastric emptying that goes, it dumps too quickly into your intestines and gets absorbed fast. And I didn't really have too much of an issue with this until I started fasting. And the reason being was because I think I got more insulin sensitive. Well, that does make sense. If you're more insulin sensitive, it's going to make your blood sugar crash mm-hmm. because your yeah. body's responding better to it. And you also yeah. had been doing kind of keto for a while too. Right, right. Yep. So I had to kind of figure out. So last, in 21, I bought a glucometer and for a couple of months tracked what was happening. And it was like, oh gosh, yeah, okay. Oh, my sugar drops really low. Oh, that's what happens. You know, as I started making correlations between what I was eating and and learned that how I break my fast is the most important thing. That's important to know. Yeah, how I break my fast is the most important thing. When your digestive tract is empty, you've been fasting for 20 hours or whatever, the very first thing that hits it is gonna have the most impact. So I have just learned that like, I need to break low carb. I need to break my fast low carb. I can have them later and not have any negative side effects, but I wasn't aware how much I was still spiking my sugar. And some of that I have learned that I can't really control with this side effect from my, my surgery. If I eat carbs, I'm going to spike. I will. Because your body dumps it off really fast and absorbs it quickly, and then there it is, right? And there it is. And so so I wanted to dive deeper into that. So I read Glucose Revolution by Jesse and Shaspe. I think that's how you say her last name. I I don't know. I'll just say Jesse. Jesse, yeah. (laughs) She's the glucose goddess on Instagram, and she is darling. She is. I, I love the work she's doing. Yeah, she's darling, and she has created... And it all started because of her own experiment on herself. Um, she was given a, a CGM to test her sugar for an experiment for her work and started seeing that like she would feel awful when her sugar would spike. And she also had like some mental stuff that would happen and like she would get brain fog and all those kinds of things. And so she started making all these correlations and doing all this research and found like she labels a spike anything more than 30 milligrams per deciliter above your baseline. So say you, before you eat, you take your sugar and it's 80. If you go more than a 110, it's a spike. So if I started a hundred, more than 130 is a spike, you know? So 
Anyways, if I'm eating low carb, I don't have any spikes. I can stay under a 30 milligram raise. But if I have carbs, it's going to spike at least 60. Wow. It's going to spike at least 60, maybe even 100 if I've had something processed, if I've had any sort of sugar. But even if I've had beans, even if I've had potato or something starchy, it will spike. Your body dumps it out. Then there it, it is. It yep. The good news is, Roxy and I have talked about this, is that my recovery is always good. So my body can handle handle the sugar. But like as we've talked about, the glycation that happens when you're raising your sugar, that's what ages us. And so the more we raise our sugar, the faster we age as well. And so it's aging us in the inside. Yeah. You know, I'm just trying to be more conscious of that. I'm not going to do it forever, testing my sugar with the whole finger stick thing, but I'm really loving what I'm learning. And it's just been a super interesting journey, you know, for me. I'm glad. I mean, it really, I do think this is information that everyone should have. I think everyone should be able to get a CGM on demand. You should be able to walk into Walmart and buy one off the shelf and it should be covered by insurance for everyone. You know how if you have dental insurance, a cleaning is covered, you know, 100%, or at least our plan, and certain preventative health yeah, insurance yeah, preventative. things are covered 100%. This should be covered 100% because it could prevent all the, the chronic stuff and the medication you're going to need down the line. If insurance companies would just think about that, they would be like, yeah, we're covering this. Well, and that was what was so interesting to me in reading Jessie's book is that she was like, the biggest thing you can do for your health is manage your sugar. And fasting is a great way to do that. The other side of it is how we feast. Yep. And and being aware of how the foods affect you. That's so important. Well, we are almost out of time. What would you tell someone just starting out with intermittent fasting or what do you wish you knew when you first started? Well, when you first get started, just focus on clean fasting, on getting that fast nice and squeaky clean, as Jen says, and start slow if you have to. You don't have to jump right into alternate day fasting. Yeah, please don't. (laughs) Don't jump right in. (laughs) Yeah, or even a 20-hour fast. You can start at 12-12. That's what I tell people. The first thing is nail the clean fast first and then build from there. When 12 hours gets easy, make it 13 and just creep your way up until it gets easy and you find that spot where it's easy and you're also getting the results that you were hoping for. Yep. And that's what we mean when we say trust the process also. The process is not decide you're going to do 19.5, start doing it, and then expect the weight's just going to fall right off. That is not the process. The process is start somewhere, do that, see what happens, If what is happening is what you want to have happen, keep doing that. If what is happening is not what you want to have happen, you're going to need to tweak it till it's easy. If it feels hard, tweak it. If you're not getting the results you want, tweak it. Tweaking is literally the process. We're not just blindly, we're not Ronco, set it and forget it. Right. You know, it's, <laughs> the tweaking is the process. And that's the part I really want to get out there because sometimes people be like, well, I started, I do 18.6. I'm not losing any weight. This isn't working. I'm like, all right, well, but then they'll say, well, just keep trusting the process. I'm just going to think I must have a lot of healing. I'm just going to keep going. No, 
No, don't just blindly keep doing something. Tweak it. Figure it out. Food choices matter. You're eating foods that are delicious, right? Everything you eat is delicious. You don't feel like you're dieting or restricting. Mm -hmm. And that's the key. That's part of the tweaking it till it's easy. All right, now thank you for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Wendy, it has been as much of a pleasure to talk to you as I knew it would be. Well, thank you. You too. And I, by the way, celebrating these size six pants that you just Uh, bought. I this wore them. Week. I wore them today for our interview. I love it. I love it. So yeah. So Wendy was going to go do some shopping because she. What's funny is I saw that you had on some pants and you you like to share your outfits. You're like the best dresser I know. I, I love seeing your posts about your outfits. You're such a, a snazzy dresser. And I was like, hey, are those pants too big? I know that was really funny. Everybody's like, you look great. I'm like, your pants are too big. <laughs> so again, there you go. I'm just going to tell you like it is. And what size were the pants you were wearing in that picture? Were they a 10? They were a 10, yeah. And I'm like, go out, try on some some eights and also maybe some sixes. I had I a feeling. Like, That's crazy talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, love it. Well, thank you so much, Wendy. Thank you, Jen. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on. Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. To learn more, visit them at ResonateRecordings.com or email them at hello at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast. Nancy's love story could have been ripped right out of the pages of one of her own novels. She was a romance mystery writer who happens to be married to a chef. But this story didn't end with a happily ever after. When I stepped into the kitchen, I could see that Chef Brophy was on the ground, and I heard somebody say, call 911. As writers, we'd written our share of murder mysteries. So when suspicion turned to Dan's wife, Nancy, we weren't that surprised. The first person they look at would be the spouse. We understand that's usually the way they do it. But we began to wonder, Had Nancy gotten so wrapped up in her own novels... There are murders in all of the books. ...that she was playing them out in real life? You can listen to Happily Never After, Dan and Nancy, early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.